Well, good morning, Southside. How we doing? It's good to hear. If you're new here today, we're so glad you're here. Just in case you think I'm young, I am, you're right. As Blake just said, I'm the pastoral intern, as I learned my official title was yesterday. But truly, I'm so honored to be here. I'm thankful to Blake and the elders and the whole church for giving me this opportunity to come here, to, just to be a member. It's been a true blessing. And then just to serve y'all as an intern. So I'm honored. So thank you. With that being said, let's pray one more time and dive into the word this morning. Lord, we just thank you for how, how you change us, God, how you are worthy of all glory and honor, Lord. We just ask that this morning we would... Uh, be reminded of your goodness and that we would worship you and song uh, through the preaching and hearing of your word and just through gathering together as, as your saints, God. We love you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So, thankfully, Blake just threw me in in the middle of Romans, didn't make me pick a passage, so we're going to stick with it in Romans, chapter 6, verses 15 through 23. This is the word of the Lord. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under law, but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin which leads to death, or of obedience which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. What fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. So today, the question Paul poses to us is this. Since we have been freed from the law and are now under grace, should we sin? Should we sin? Long story short, the answer is no. But recently, I watched the new documentary, American Gospel. I've watched it one and a half times now. It's a fantastic film. I'd recommend to all of you to watch it. But there's a section where a young guy, not too much older than me, admits the philosophy or understanding of grace that so many young people especially, but also just people in general, struggle to fight against. He just confesses, well, if Jesus died for my sins, how convenient is that? We learn on Sundays, Jesus Christ died for your sins, so now you're free to live the life we want. That's not true, but that's what we are fighting against. That, what is, that is what Paul is addressing here. If grace is truly grace, if all of our sins have been paid for, can we just go on sinning knowing that Jesus Christ is sufficient to pay for all of our punishment? But as Blake taught last week, grace is not just pardon from the punishment for sin, it's also 
power. It's the power to break the chains of our slavery to sin and transfer us to another slavery. But why slavery at all, you might ask? Well, this is the truth that Paul lays out for us. 15 through 18, these verses are going to be the reality of slavery. The reality of slavery for all. The truth of our existence as fallen humans on this earth is one of a universal slavery. But truthfully, we don't acknowledge this in today's society, in our culture. Our time and culture is one of an obsession with the illusion of freedom. Today, we're taught that we're all free. You're free to be who you want, date who you want, buy what you want, do what you want, change whatever part of you you want. And no one else can tell you you're wrong. It's like the one thing that you're not free to do is tell someone else they're wrong. But what Paul is laying down is the foundation of his argument here is this universal reality of enslavement. So if this is the foundation, we first need to understand a couple of the aspects of the slavery that Paul is referring to, of Roman slavery, the slavery that everyone receiving this letter would have understood, would have been second nature to them. You see, the slavery is not the North American slave trade that's such a heinous mark on our country and our, our world's history, nor is it the current understanding of employment as many of us millennials or whatever generation we are. We last like two, two years a job, you just get out of employment as soon as you want. We can leave a contract or start a new one. But no, that's not what Paul is talking about here. When he talks about slavery, even voluntary slavery, the understanding that all Romans would have had was that slaves, by definition, are bound to total obedience to a single master. Total obedience to a single master. In other words, this master has exclusive ownership and the slave owed their total obedience to their master. See, this is not just a, a Pauline thought, part of his letter. This is a theme picked up by our Savior Jesus Christ. In his words in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 6, he says this, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. We cannot have two masters. We are only obedient to one. This is the grounds for why we shall not sin. Last week, Paul explained that we are dead to sin. So how can we truly go on living in it if we are dead to it? It just doesn't make sense. This week is that our obedience shows our master. Therefore, how can we continue to sin? For in sinning, we are showing ourselves obedient to sin, not to God. For we know that God would never decree that his people should sin. No, it was the disobedience of Adam and Eve in the garden that brought death. See, God is faithful to fulfill all of his promises and his promise to Adam in the garden regarding the sin of eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was this. In the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Sin brings death. So how can we go on serving sin when we serve the God of life? How can we continue living a life of sin when in Ephesians 2 it tells us that believers are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them? 
How can we show our master to be sin if we are free from sin and under grace? And all of this, I don't want us to forget one of the chief purposes of this letter to the Romans. So flip back to the beginning of Romans. Chapter one, we're gonna read verses one through five. It says this, Paul, a servant, better translated as slave, it's the same word used throughout our passage today. Paul, a slave of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets and the holy scriptures concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ, our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you, who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. The obedience of faith. This is the mark of every Christian yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And this is what this passage distinctly speaks to, our obedience to God by grace through faith. So let's come back to Romans 6. Now we're gonna go on in verses 17 and 18. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed and having been set free from sin have become slaves of righteousness. But thanks be to God, anytime we get to but in the Bible, I always get excited because as we've known preaching through Romans straight through after three chapters of teaching on sin in one through three, it was tough, but then in chapter three, verse 21, we get this beautiful but. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. After Paul had written out how there's no hope for us on our own, how we're not able, how none of us seek God, no, not one of us is good, he provided the way. Later in chapter five, Paul writes this, for one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And not only Romans, as, as Taylor read in Ephesians 2, after the bleak analysis of deadness as a result of our trespass, trespasses and sins, we hear, but God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our trespasses. It's all throughout the Bible, I could go on. But now we come back to Romans 6 and once we once again have great reason to give thanks to God. But what are we giving thanks for this time? But thanks be to God that you, who were slaves of sin, have become obedient from the heart to the form of teaching to which you were committed. Friends, it's clear as Christians, we are not neutral. Non-Christians, we, no, not, not we. Non-Christians are not neutral either. See, from the day when you as a Christian committed your life to Christ, you submitted your life to God. And we learn that from that day forward, we are not negatively moving towards sin any longer. But our hearts have been changed by the love 
that God has poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit to make us obedient from the heart as he promised in the Old Testament. As I said earlier, and we know God is faithful to fulfill all of his promises. So hear this promise as you turn with me to Ezekiel 37, 26 through 27, his promise to Israel. This is God speaking. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey all my rules. The clear understanding from this is that God gives us a new heart and a new spirit to free us into obedience to God's statutes. So now as Christians, we can see that this has happened past tense. So now, today, we are now obedient from the heart to the righteousness that God demands, not to the sin that is all too familiar to our fallen humanity. Turn back to Romans 6. We'll finish reading verse 18. And having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. Freedom from slavery for what? Another slavery. We're set free for slavery. See, this is the reality of slavery. It's all people and all places at all times. But now, let's look at the response to slavery. The response to slavery, verse 19. I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness leading to sanctification. Just as Blake laid out for us last week, the life of a Christian is always indicative and then imperative. It's done and then we do. We see Paul continuing this here. He gives thanks to God that we are no longer slaves of sin, that he has freed us. For we know that we can never free ourselves from the slavery, and we are now slaves of righteousness. So now what? Does God's action render our efforts, our work meaningless? Of course not. See, God's work is the grounds for our work. God's work is the grounds for our response. See, even when we were under sin, we presented ourselves to it. We presented ourselves to slave, to sin. But now, since we are free from sin, thanks be to God, we are now free to give ourselves over, to present ourselves to righteousness, to a better master whose fruit brings about a perfect purpose, sanctification. Sanctification is the fruit of obedience to righteousness, Whereas the fruit of lawlessness is, of course, more lawlessness. And honestly, this is one of those teachings where we don't have to ask around, we don't have to consult a commentary, we don't have to ask someone wiser or smarter than us to, to understand this. We can just look back at our own lives. Raise your hand if you've told a lie in here. All right, if you're not raising your hand, you're either asleep or you're lying. 
So now that we've worked that out, let's keep going. But when you tell a lie, usually what happens next? You got to tell another one. One lie rarely gets you out of the circumstance. So one lie leads to another lie, to another lie, until you're wrapped up in a, a web of lies that you're enslaved to. You're not free from, because once you bring yourself out of it, you're done for. You're done for. Just like as we all said, when we lie to our mom at some point, and they know. Moms always know when we're lying. Then you just keep trying to get yourself out of it, and then it just makes you look even worse. That's what we do. All of our lives, we keep sinning. We keep sinning, and we keep sinning. We are enslaved to it. But God has changed our hearts, which is why we give thanks to God, for we know on our own ability we could not change. But now that we've been changed, we present ourselves as slaves to righteousness, knowing that just as our sin grows day by day, when left unchecked, our righteousness will grow as well when we pursue sanctification. As we continually set ourselves apart for God's work by giving ourselves to him and his purposes, we become more like Christ through the grace that God gives. Sanctification, this is the air we breathe as Christ followers each and every day. From the day you committed your life to Christ to the day where he calls you home from this earth, this is your work. You will be enduring and enjoying the process of sanctification. 2 Corinthians 3.18 is my go-to sanctification passage. For true believers, it says this, and we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. See, this is sanctification. This is the Christian life, beholding Jesus and becoming more like Jesus. For any weary saints who are still struggling, still battling as we all are, take peace that this is happening. You don't see it every day, but when you look back two months, when you look back two years, it is so clear how the Lord is shaping you and conforming you to be more like Christ. He is the beginning and the end of our sanctification. He is the founder and perfecter of our faith. And I say that because I want to specifically speak to those who are in the room for all this sounds ludicrous. See, I've got to take a moment and confess that my preaching of this text today is, is very ironic to me. I say that because a little over two years ago, I was far from God. I was walking as a slave to my sin. I was in utter ruins and confusion, but God in his sweet providence had me walking to Tyler, Texas, to Pine Cove Christian camps. I remember it clear as day. I was training to be a ropes course guy, and one of my fellow counselors, he had a, a tattoo on his arm right here. It said, slaves to righteousness. Slaves to righteousness. And I, in my head, thought, I'm not a slave. I'll never be a slave of anything or anyone. I'm free. I'm free to choose what I want to do every day. I'm free to choose righteousness if I want, but I'm not a slave to it. See, my concept of sin, of God and of sin had no room for slavery to anything or anyone. And yours might not either. That might be where you are today. But what this stems from is, is a flawed view of this world 
and the powers within it. Thankfully, the Holy Spirit didn't just inspire Paul to give us the reality of slavery and the response to slavery. He gives us the results of slavery so that we can see it for what it is. We can see this world for how it really works. So let's move on to verses 20 through 22 to see the result of our slavery. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. Now we get to clearly see the results of the two slaveries presented to us in this life. What has been stated is now made abundantly clear. The truth, my friends, is that these fleshly, fallen bodies we have, we're never truly free in them. Now there is a freedom that the non-Christian possesses. It's right there in the text. It's a freedom from caring about righteousness. We're free in regards to righteousness. But this freedom is, is not a good freedom as I as I hopefully believe that every single Christian in here can attest to, for what fruit did we reap from that freedom other than shame? Two years ago, I was living in shame, slave to my sin, hoping, hoping for some way out, but there isn't on our own. But I was trying to make a way, I'll tell you that much, trying to make a way on my own. But sin breeds shame. And when we look back, we can still remember the shame. We can experience the shame. And this is, this is somewhat healthy for us. It's healthy to remember who we were in Christ for that's, without Christ, for that shows his work in our hearts. For while we sinned, brought shame upon ourselves, and looked forward to an eventual death, that isn't our end. Oh, no. We have been set free from sin and have become slaves to God. So it's ironic that now I'm here preaching to you that we are slaves of God into glorious reality. It's the best thing that you can be on this earth. Because now the fruit that we bear as slaves to God, the one true God, leads to sanctification, to becoming more like our precious Savior, Jesus Christ. And the end, the end result of our sanctification is eternal life, is our perfect union with God. So brothers and sisters, today I ask you to set aside your revulsion to the word slavery and look upon who has become your master, who is it you are serving. Listen to the words of this prayer penned by Saint Augustine. For who is Lord but our Lord, or who is God but our God? Most High, best, most powerful, utterly almighty, most merciful and most just, furthest and nearest, most beautiful and most strong, constant and beyond understanding, unchanging yet changing all things, never new, never old, yet making all things new. It goes on, but today just consider our Lord. Consider this God. He is infinitely good and kind and compassionate, merciful and just. All the good that this world seemingly has to offer is nothing in comparison 
to life with him. So may this knowledge, may the knowledge that the creator of the whole world, the creator of everything, and the one who created you in your mother's womb is calling you to obedience. He is demanding it of you for your good and for the sake of his name among all the nations. See, oftentimes the reason we fear obedience, we hate it, is because we fear and hate the one who we have to obey. But our God is faithful, faithful to the end and faithful beyond anything or anyone we've ever known. So let's listen to the final verse, the finale. Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. We have been saved by grace. We are not under the law anymore. It holds no power over us. But the question once again and always will be, shall we sin? If we truly trust that Christ Jesus paid the price for all our sins, can't we keep sinning because he has us covered? No, the answer is no. But if we're honest, this, this is a question that's not just for beginning Christians, young Christians, new Christians. This is a question that all of us believers face every day. This is a question that we face. For the tempter is alive and well in this world. The devil is alive and active. And when he has you cornered, when he has your mind trapped on that, that same sin that you keep running into, on that same shame from your past that you just can't seem to kick, when you're thinking about that same idol that drives you, and you're, you're faced with what are you going to present yourself to, to sin or to righteousness, we have to know in our heart of hearts what we're supposed to do and why we're called to do it, what drives us. Paul grounds his argument in slavery. The foundation of why we shall not go on sinning is because our obedience, whether to sin or righteousness, shows our master. And we can only have one true master on this earth, and we as Christians care what people think about our God. We care deeply. So I just, for a second I ask you, if someone who didn't know Christ only had your life, your words, as the only way they could know God, what would they see? Are you taking obedience to God so seriously to truly follow it in each and every decision? Are you thinking about who are you obeying each and every day, every moment? But now in verse 23, Paul doesn't just compare the two masters, sin and God, or the two gifts, life and death. He compares the terms of service which these masters demand. On the one hand, we have sin. Sin pays us according to what we earn. It's wages. This is what soldiers were paid in Roman times or what slaves were given as pocket chains for their services. They get what they are owed. That's it. Nothing more and nothing less. That's on the one hand. And we know that's not a good ending for we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and thus we deserve death. So if you want to get what you deserve today, I'm sorry, it's not good. But some of us demand that we want to get what we own. We're such a slave to our pride that we want our wages. We want our wages, but that is not the gospel. That's not the good news. You don't have to stay there if you're stuck in that. 
For while the wages of sin is death, and that is what you deserve, the free gift of God, the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The free gift. What he gives is eternal life. He paid the wages. What you deserve is death, but Jesus Christ stepped out of heaven. He came down to earth. He walked through this world in a perfect and sinless manner, took, to our, took, took the cross and died the death that we deserved for us so that we could receive this free gift. So if you don't know this gospel, if you don't know this God, please take the Bible in front of you. Come talk to one of the elders or a member of this congregation. We'd love nothing more than to share this gospel with you and teach you what it looks like to walk in obedience. But today, I wanna emphasize the truth that sometimes gets lost at the very end of this. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. See, he is both our savior and our Lord. You don't just get one or the other. He doesn't just save you from your sins so you can conveniently go on sinning. No, he saves you, and now he is your Lord. So be reminded of the goodness of our Lord and the goodness of this slavery to righteousness. If you are struggling to submit to it, remember that it is by grace that we've been saved through faith. And remember that Jesus Christ came to this earth and submitted himself to the Father's will. As you pursue righteousness, as you follow God into the unknown, into situations that scare you, into friendships that demand far more than you want to give, consider Christ. Consider his sacrifice to step down out of heaven to free you from slavery to sin and to the eternal death that awaited you by bearing the wrath of, of God on the cross. Remember that obedience for Christ wasn't easy. May your prayers be genuine like Christ. When you come to the Father, are you boldly asking him? As Christ Jesus showed us in the, in the garden when he says, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. But as you pray boldly, would you also submit to the will of God as Christ Jesus showed us when he followed his petition with submission, saying, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. His will is good. I pray that you would be more and more obedient to Christ and the will of the God our Father. For this is our call, this is our job. We are called to be obedient and testify to his goodness. The gift of God is eternal life and it's free to us. Oh, what a God we serve. Bow with me as we pray.